Welcome, everybody, to the Thrivestry Podcast, Mastering the Art of Thriving at Life, where we talk about creating change in our lives and in the world around us. I'm your host, JJ. This is my co-host, Gigi. Say hi, Gigi. Hi. And today, we're going to talk, we're going to actually change it up a little bit. We're going to go over two different articles, and, and, and we're going to do the, the, the life stuff and the, and the, you know, we're going to do that second. And the first article we're going to talk about is how there's been some research, and it was a pretty small study, but it is fascinating, of how flowers... Um, helped improve outcomes of people in the hospital and why you should have flowers in your home or I'm assuming plants in general. But, uh, uh, and then we're also going to talk about this other article that uh, uh, is, is, is saying how um, if you love your job and, and you're passionate, there's a good chance you're getting taken advantage of by the, you know, your customers, your, your, your managers and everything and how it, it and how we sort of default to that position and how even if you are doing the crap jobs, like cleaning the bathrooms and doing the stuff nobody else wants to do, um, even if you don't like your job, people assume you are passionate about it, which is also kind of an interesting on the flip side. But let's, uh, let's jump, jump right into this first one. Um, let's see, fresh flowers in your home can help ease anxiety according to science. And uh, um, show your flowers that are right there outside of you, Gigi. There's, a, there's flowers right there for you guys watching the video. Yeah. Hey. And they oh. smell really nice. <laughs> the study involved 90 patients who recovered from appendectomies. And uh, they some of them received flowers and plants in their hospital rooms, while others did not. Fascinatingly, the, pat the patients who did have flora in their rooms benefited from lower blood pressure, lower heart rates, lower ratings of pain, anxiety, and fatigue. Um, than those that were plantless, um, not pantless, plantless. <laughs> Although I would argue that we need to study being pantless and how that affects anxiety, heart rates, <laughs> pain, fatigue. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, but I like being pantless in my house. Um, I was just like, immediately I go to that, like, we have all these meetings online, but it's only oh, yeah. from like your shirt up right? So I, yeah. always a part of me is like, I wonder if they have pants on today. Always <laughs> if you guys work from home or you guys work, work remote or whatever, I guess it has to be from home. It'd be weird if it was in your office, but you should have like pantless Thursdays. <laughs> um, they also reported more positive feelings and higher satisfaction with their rooms. Can you blame them? Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, how did you find this study and why did you find it interesting? how I found it. Uh, most stuff comes up on my Facebook. <laughs> so that's, you know, how I live my life is on Facebook. I'm okay to admit that. Um, so, oh, this was a fellow entrepreneur in Toronto who does, uh, he owns a company that specializes in, in adult fun and not, not in like a porn way, but like in a, <laughs> in not like a, a way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but <laughs> more in like, you know, we take ourselves too seriously and, and, you know, when was the last time that you play, that you like played a game or like had some fun with your friends or had fun at your office or just like lighten the fuck up basically. Right. So, um, anyway, I thought it was a really cool article. Because I love flowers. Um, I will always buy myself fresh cut flowers, like every two weeks when I do like the big grocery shop, I always buy flowers because they're so pretty, but they do make you feel good to have them around. And especially in Canada in the summer, just spending the more time that you can, like sitting in a garden or being out in nature, you always just really, you feel really good. 
And I thought it was super cool to read an article that kind of backed it up. And it's not just me loving flowers. It's like, a, it's a legit thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's funny you mentioned the, the fun, the, the play aspect and the fun aspect, because we talked about that in the previous, one of the previous podcasts where, where I had the Venn diagram and I incorporated play as one of the kind of the primary things I'm looking at in addition to strength, cardio and skill work is play should be an, an integral part of kind of a general physical preparedness program. It can't just be a grind and, and all that. And I think, I think that's so true is that, is that um, we default to this mode of, you know, hustle and work and all these, you know, commitments and things. And then when we're exhausted and we have downtime, um, we, we tend to just tune out by just, you know, scanning social media or watching Netflix. And those aren't really play that, that it's okay to have down, like totally downtime where you can just shut your brain off. But, but ultimately play kind of is, is like the, the, the dark matter, the opposite of all the work, right? And, and you need to make sure you have enough time in your schedule to have some, to get all your work done, but then also to have some play. And usually that means you need to say no to, to some other, you know, extra activities or extra work or whatever, so that you have that space in your life. Um, but this, the, the, the plants thing is interesting. You know, I was, I was uh, listening to a podcast with, um, on Dr. Rhonda Patrick's uh, Found My Fitness, and they talked about, um, uh, it was a sleep, it was a sleep podcast, or the sleep specialist out of Stanford. And one of the things that they're looking into is um, artificial light in, in, in hospital rooms, and how they can, they can basically show that, you know, because they're in this environment that always has all the blinking, glowing lights, and they sort of turn the, they turn the lights down, but it's still light, they have all this light infiltration, or what they call light contamination, and when people don't have that, they tend to get better faster. They feel better faster and they recover faster um, if we can start preventing that. And so we can start thinking about our, our hospital experiences and making them, making them better. And yeah, and you know, hospitals are not places of wellness, right? They're places of, of sickness to, to be, to deal with, like they specifically deal with illness and sickness and they're not you know, look at hospital food, right? Like hospital food is not good, nutritious food. It's like bottom of the barrel, let's meet your food guide with like as minimal requirements as possible. Kind well, of cheap, cheap is bitter too, right? Like how can they produce it cheaply? Right, exactly. But it, they're not getting anybody actually better faster. Um, and, and the thing that I was wondering about the study itself that the article was talking about, you know, you kind of explained it where there's these people and they got better if they had flowers in their room versus not having flowers in the room. But my first question was, is it because they have these flowers or is it because they have people in their lives that will bring them flowers? Like people that care enough about them to make the effort of bringing a gift and to spend the time and to, you know, to know that they're being thought of, right? Because that's more what the flowers are about, right? So I was wondering, is it the flowers themselves that are creating this change or is it just that they're part of a, of a community? of support, right? That the people that don't get the flowers don't have, you know? And so what is the thing that's actually making them better? Yeah, so that's why I'm, I'm reading it real quick to see, um, I was gonna see if I can click on the article here to find out if, if it was, um, if they provided the flowers or if it was family that provided the flowers. Um, they were randomly assigned room, hospital rooms with or without plants. So this was, cool. yeah. So, so it was, so it, it wasn't the, the people bringing them flowers. Um, patients in the, the plant treatment room viewed eight species of foliage and flowering plants during their post-operative recovery periods. 
um, length of hospitalization. Yeah, so it does say that they were randomly assigned. Um, yeah, so that I mean that's that's uh, that's fascinating. This is in the American Society for Horicultural 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 <laughs> Science. <laughs> Horicultural Science. There we go. Um, yeah. Words for you today. I know, man. Need to need to start practicing with the marbles in my mouth, like like who was it, Socrates that did that? Um, or, or was it Aristotle? I can't remember. But uh, so so uh, yeah, I mean, I it, it just goes back to this whole nature, this whole get outside, get in nature thing. I think it, especially if you guys end up you know kind of trapped, you know, for winter months or or in the office, you know, I wonder. I'd like to see some research around fake plants. Does that, you know, does that help? Or even just, um, you know, your desktop and, you know, having, having nature scenes. Like I actually have all my, my uh, sort of screensaver changes um, to these uh, uh, random nature scenes. Um, so I, in, in my and same thing with my, my desktop, the background. It's constantly just outdoor scenes just to kind of like, I don't know, soften up this, the, the computer experience a little bit with nature. But, uh, but yeah, getting outside in nature, you know, we know has all these health benefits. And so, but sometimes people can't get out of nature because they're recovering from a surgery. And, and um, can we incorporate that into, like I said, into the hospital experience and thinking about our own lives, you know, maybe it's, you know, maybe you're allergic to flowers or certain flowers. So find out what they are and find the plants that you can, that you can, uh, you can have, you know, um, you know, I like, we have, we have a few plants in our house, but they need to be really hardy and not require a lot of attention. Because <laughs> taking care of plants. <laughs> That's why I use fresh cut ones because when they die, it wasn't my fault. It's, oh yeah, it's good. <laughs> so you just like to watch the slow death of an innocent plant, just torture it to death and just let it die. <laughs> you know, better a plant than a pet. It's the slow death of a pet is sad. Yes. <laughs> um. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in in. So yeah, there are there are vines and plants that are really easy to take care of, and uh, now there there's all kinds of like little tools and apps and things that automatically water them and stuff. So you know, if you're really lazy, you can you can still get still get by with that stuff. But but um, it is also fascinating that the that giving someone flowers when they're in the hospital is you know culturally just accepted, um, and and uh, but it you know it's just another sign of kind of the research sort of proving what people have done for a long long time. Um, and I, you know, you think about funerals too, and and uh, that's that's what you do at funerals is you have all people donate all these flowers, and obviously it's a, you know, you're paying homage to the person and and the family that's that's remembering that person, but it also I think might brighten the mood and make the experience a little bit, um, a little bit more tolerable. Well, I always wonder, you know, there there are certain like societal norms that have been happening for hundreds of years, right? Like you said, like flowers at a funeral. And I always think to myself, it, those things, they started and they, they caught on because they actually make people feel better, right? And now the cool thing is that we've got, we're able to really study and say, well, you know, yeah, flowers at a funeral, you do it because it's, a, it's the right thing to do. It's like a kind gesture that's a societal norm, but it's also scientifically proven to make you feel better, right? So all of these things, like I... Um, my grandmother was staying with us for the weekend about six months ago. She comes regularly, but this particular thought train happened about six months ago. And she has this like this rhythm to her day, right? She wakes up and she has her tea and then she has 
this and she has that. And then she has another tea at like four o'clock um, when everybody kind of comes home. And like, as the people are coming in, they have their conversation, like their after school conversation, their after work conversation. And then everyone has dinner together and then everyone watches the news together. And it's like, you're watching the news together, not so that you can sit on a screen, but so that you can discuss current events. Like it's this very like civilized way of doing things. And the more that I, like I was experiencing this this day and like watching her go through all of these things that she does every day and she goes for a walk and she does, you know, and I was just sitting back and I was like, she does naturally all of these things that now we as coaches push on people, right? Like, you know, like build your communities, take part in like have dinner with your family, ask about people's days, go for a walk every day, get outside every day, right? Like all of this kind of stuff that we're really like pushing on people to do is all stuff that, you know, in the olden days, <laughs> I hope she never hears this because she'll kill me. But <laughs> like back then, it's the stuff that they would do because they knew that they would feel good if they did it, right? Mm -hmm. And now it's like, we're so caught up in like the absent scrolling and, and you know, what's on Netflix and everything like that, that you kind of negate or you, you forget about the stuff that you need to do to make yourself feel good. Or, or you lose touch with your own internal feelings. Yeah. And, and so you're not, so you're not as in tune with that. So then you don't notice that, yes, I feel, I feel so much better when I've, you know, gone for a walk or, or done these things. You don't notice the benefits as much because instead you're just killing time mindlessly so that you can go to sleep and wake up and do it again the next day. Um, uh, and, and yeah, so I, I agree. And it's interesting you mentioned the routines thing. I was reading something recently about like the kind of, you know, like, oh, you got to have a morning routine and why morning routines are so important. And the kind of the argument was, um, it's, you know, they're like all these high performing people have all these routines, you know, and here, here are the routines of high performing people. But ultimately, you know, like it's not so much what, what the exact routine is. It's this that you have a routine so that you don't have to think and you don't get decision fatigue. Right. Yeah. So you have this fixed routine where, you know, it might be you wake up at, you know, 430 in the morning because Jocko Willing told you to. And, and you go out and work out right away and you have your coffee and you, do, you don't check email like that. But, but uh, this other really successful person was saying, he's like, I wake up, have a cup of coffee, get back in bed and surf, surf Instagram. He's like, I don't feel guilty about that. You know, like I like to do it. I don't care, you know, but it's what I do. And, and, and it's my routine. So I don't have to like think about what I have to get done right away. It's like this fixed, this fixed routine. And, and I do think that the more we can build those healthy beneficial routines in our life, again, I was uh, another one of my favorite coaches, Dan John was talking about how he found this like shirt that just fit him great. It's a black collared shirt and you know, it's, it travels well, doesn't wrinkle. So he bought 16 of them <laughs> and, and uh, he just, you know, yeah, yeah. And he, he's and he was talking about it in reference to shark habits, which, which are, which is a great concept where, you know, certain things have to be repeated over and over again. They take a lot of work and energy to do, but if you can find a way to, to do it all in one bite, like a shark, just take care of the whole thing. Instead of always trying to stress about what to pack, he went and bought all these shirts at one time, and then now he doesn't have to worry about what every time he can pack in 10 minutes, right? And he travels a lot, does these conferences. And and you think about what habits can you do to just like take care of your, take that it's never even a thought. I think another example of this would be to take something out of your house that you're struggling with, just take it off the table completely you know, whether it's a bad food or alcohol or whatever, if you just take it out completely, it really makes it hard to then, to then, you know, fall into your old habits or, or have to use willpower and try to resist 
um, and make decisions around that. You know, um, they talk about like, you know, what's his name? Um, the Apple guy. Uh, um, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. He always wore the same thing every day. You know, I don't think that's why he was successful, but it's one of the examples of ways that he just was like, I don't want to think about it, you know, and, and did a shark habit, boom, for 20 years or whatever, he wore the same thing <laughs> as an extreme example. Yeah. And then I always wonder, there's people that will hear something like that, like Steve Jobs, who wears the same thing every day, and then they'll go out and they'll start wearing the same thing every day. And I, I knew a person like this, right? And he wore the same black or white t-shirt and a pair of khaki pants every fucking day for like seven or eight years. And one year we actually dressed up like him for his birthday. So like eight of us showed up wearing like his uniform. Um, but the thing was, is like, he wasn't really successful. He wasn't because he wasn't doing all of the other things. It was like, Oh, if I wear the same thing every day, I'm going to be successful. I'm going to be a billionaire like Steve Jobs. And it's like, no, <laughs> waking up at four 30, wearing the same thing every day. Like those are not, those are not the intangibles. Those are the weird little quirky things that they've picked up that will help them and support them and, and make a little bit of difference. But that's not, that's not the thing. That's not the, the thing, the Steve Jobness, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, getting flowers every week for your house isn't going to make you happy. Right. Like, like all of a sudden, Oh no, I was depressed and now I'm happy because I have flowers delivered every week or whatever. Like, you know, and, and ultimately it's it, every, it, every person's unique and every situation's unique, but you know, the more we can kind of get everything pointing in the right direction. And if something really does, you know, make you feel better and, and it's something you really enjoy, then, then yeah. And I do think a lot of times there's, there's this guilt around kind of uh, spending extravagantly for something you love or, or, you know, do, you know, doing things that are important to you that other people can kind of judge you on, or you're kind of like, Oh, I don't, I don't want people to know that I'm into that. Um, but you should do it if it makes you happy, you know, and, and you should budget for things to, you know, and, of, you know, try to figure out ways to, to, you know, spend less or take things out, shark habit, the things that you don't like or that are slowing you down, and then try to put that extra time and energy into things that you love. And on that note, um, let's talk about this other study or this other uh, research we're talking about. Love your job. Someone may be taking advantage of you. Um, <laughs> and, and I love this little gift that they created, which is a woman on her, on her laptop. And, um, and she's left-handed left mouse, which is interesting. Um, but, and then there's just this hand, this like hand throwing papers down next to them, you know, and, um, Duke university, uh, talked, uh, did some research around if someone is passionate about what they do, we see it much more legitimate to exploit them. Um, and I don't think this is a big surprise. Uh, um, I think, I think that this is, um, it's nice to see that research, um, come forward and say, okay, um, you know, this is, this is kind of, it's, it's a, it's a real thing. Um, and so for those of you guys who are listening, you're probably involved in the gym somehow, um, not just maybe you're a member, but also especially coaches and owners. And most gyms are, are, are started as a, as a work of passion, right? They were passionate about fitness and helping people change their lives. And so they decided to start a gym, maybe it started off part-time, maybe they, you know, quit their job to, to coach full-time or open a gym full-time. But then there, what we see a lot working in the, in the industry is a lot of burnout. And we see a lot of people who are struggling um, to make ends meet. You know, they're struggling to, you know, make a career out of being a coach or make the gym successful so that they can actually have a, have a good life, life balance. And I think it's because 
there's this internalization that they're doing it because they're passionate about it and they want to help people. So they don't charge enough. And then they they're open seven days a week and they don't take vacations. And, you know, when someone, um, you know, when someone needs something, they're always willing to help. And, and, um, and members, clients, they, they don't necessarily realize how much they're, that they're just asking for one little thing. But when you have 200 people all asking for one little thing all the time and the person never saying no, they're being taken advantage of. Um, and like, so there's a lot of guilt, I think around, um, like not taking days off or, you know, it's a holiday, not just closing the gym. Oh, we still gotta be open for so many hours cause people still want to come and work out, <laughs> which is fine. But it, it, there's a trade off there. You know, if, if it, you shouldn't feel guilty about maybe just closing the gym. I, I know some gym owners that will actually close the gym for a week, a week or more at a time and certain times of the year because attendance is usually low. They need a break. Their coaches need a break. And you just tell everybody ahead of time, like, you know, between Christmas and New Year's, we're not open um, or, or between uh, or a week in the summer, you know, where everyone's busy with traveling and stuff too. And your regulars will, will learn that they'll understand. You can still provide them at home workouts and things like that, but they'll, they'll know the gym's going to be closed. And that's part of their membership that the gym is closed for two weeks a year, these two separate times. And, and, uh, um, and then that's when they can go on vacation too, you know, <laughs> like, you know, not just, not just the, the, the owner and the, and the coaches. So I think like this article, it's got a couple of specific careers that it kind of discusses. Um, but definitely when we were reading through this, the entrepreneurs and the gym owners, they're the ones that come to mind, right? So I immediately thought of teachers when I was reading through this, like in, in Ontario, teachers are actually extremely well paid. They have a phenomenal pension. Um, but in the States, it's not like that, right? Because someone will always be willing to do it. Someone will always say, these kids need a teacher, these kids, right? And, but unfortunately, what that's led to is that you can afford to pay them less because you know that they'll do it anyway, right? Um, and it's the same thing with the entrepreneurs. I like to call it the entrepreneurial guilt, right? Where it's just like, oh, you know, I just want to help people. I, look at this bee. Can you see him? You see this bee? This bumblebee? Holy cow. Yeah, I saw it for a second. Um, one of the things that I, why we have all these flowers is to have more bees. Oh, so, there you go. Glad to see it's working. Um, so <laughs> anyway, but the entrepreneurial guilt is like a real legit thing. And it's when we get on the calls with people and we're like, cool, how much is your profit? And immediately it's like back up against the wall. I don't need, I'm not in this to make money. I'm not here for profit. You guys are all about money. And it's like, no, 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 that's, that's not what this is about. This is about making sure that you can afford to continue to do this, right? Which is, is a lot of passionate people, their passion kind of gets in the way of the, like the objective success, which is like, it's great that you're passionate, but you have to be able to pay your bills. And you have to be able to take vacation with your family and you can't, cause then you're just neglecting one thing for the other. Right. And the article reading through it, like it actually, it broke my heart reading this. And I was just like, man, cause I've been that person, right. I've been that person on both sides where it's like, I'm super passionate about this. So I'm going to be, I know that I've been taken advantage of and I know that I've been, um, underpaid and, and everything, not this, like this specific Drive-Through podcast, <laughs> but like, you know, like going to school or whatever. And, um, we see it in academia all the time. Like people doing their masters and their PhDs are really taken advantage of because they are so passionate about what they do that there's this expectation 
that they work 14 hours a day and 16 hours a day just to get that PhD done for to what end, right? And then on the other side, the article goes on to talk about that the reverse is true, right? So people who are exploited in their jobs are more likely to be seen as passionate about their work. So I can remember being a waitress and like cleaning the bathrooms because that's like part of your fucking job. And my fellow staff members being like, oh, you must really love this job. And I'm like, no, it's just, this is just part of our job. Like this is like part of our job description. The manager asked me to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a good job. Am I super passionate about cleaning bathrooms? No. Right. Like, but it was, it was that, that, oh, you must really love doing this kind of stigma that comes around it. So it was really interesting to see that it's been proven on both sides. And then I wonder what are the people who are not passionate or not hard workers? Like what, how do they see the world? Right? Like, I always thought that that was just how people are. You know, you're asked to do a job, like you're at work, someone says, hey, can you get this done? And you're like, yep, for sure, I'll get it done. But what do other people, like people that are not like me, right? Yeah. And you're an entrepreneur too, so I don't know, like, if you'd even have any Well, insight. you know, it, it is, it is uh, interesting with, the, with regards to this, a lot of the sort of talk you see from these, these, these people in the entrepreneur space or the, the hustle space, if you will, <laughs> they always are like, follow your passion, you know, do a, do, do a passionate, you know, find your, and then just do it and then life will be great. And, you know, find a job that, that you would do for free and then try to figure out how to get paid for it. And, and the reality is, is that, is that if everybody did that, then the world wouldn't work because there's just certain jobs that are no, there's not enough people to be passionate about it. And you can be passionate about the quality of your work and you can be passionate about like, the, um, the way your work makes people feel, you know, I really, uh, uh, liked hearing about this guy who was working in hospitals as a janitor and he saw his, his job as a way to make people more comfortable and have a better experience, um, in the hospital. And so he was passionate about his, his, the, the result of his work, but he probably wasn't passionate about cleaning up bodily fluids and, and, and being around sick people all the time, you know? So it's like they're, they're, um, that I think that there is this sort of dark side to working towards your passions in that if you do end up in these positions, um, there's going to, you're going to get, end up t saying yes to too much and taking on and, and getting taken advantage of. Um, it was interesting they, they they found a bunch of studies. There was 2,400 total participants and they had all these different um, parameters that, 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 that they, that they were looking at when they did this kind of overall study. And um, you know, one of them was like, um, in one study, participants who uh, read that an artist was strongly passionate about his job said it was more legitimate for the boss to exploit the artist than those who read that the artist wasn't passionate. Um, the finding extended to asking for work far beyond the job description, including leaving a day at the park with the family and cleaning the office bathroom. And, uh, um, and so it, there's a public perception, like it's considered more acceptable that, that, <clears throat> that their boss told them and asked them to do extra things because the person quote unquote, loved the work or whatever. And, and it wasn't true for things like if a person, you know, it's very true for these, you know, the artists and the social workers and the, the nurses and the teachers compared to, um, it's not as fair compared to someone who's a store clerk or a bill collector. And, and again, so there's, so not only is it the, the, the passion people, but it's also these passion, what are usually considered passion jobs. Um, and I, and I think this, we can think about this with coaches. So you guys who are coaches um, experience this when, you know, the client is, is 
you know, hanging out after class and picking your brain for all this information and you want to help them because you're passionate, but then at the same time, you're giving away your time for free. You know, you've probably got other things you got to do. You know, maybe you've been at the gym for forever. Now you're not working out as often as you, as you'd like because you're too busy helping people. This is, this speaks directly to my, to my life was, was, uh, being in the gym all the time, I, it was the hardest, it was hard for me to work out because I would always be coaching people. And so if I worked, did a workout, like I would never work out with my classes because I, I, I felt too responsible for helping people. And I don't think most coaches should work out with their classes, but, but if even during like open gym, you know, like people come talk to me and I just stop squatting and talk to them. And then 20 minutes goes by and I, I can't squat anymore because I'm all cooled off and, and, or in the middle of a Metcon or, you know, I put off my Metcon because I'm over there just talking to everybody and making sure that they're all taken care of and then I run out of time. Um, and and uh, people don't realize that they're taking advantage of you, but but they are. And and uh, uh, and the same thing goes for you guys who own gyms, who have coaches working for you. <laughs> it can just be expected. You know, you're paying this coach by the hour and then you start asking them to do all this social media posts and go to all the events and show up at these meetings unpaid and, and do all this extra work because you, you, you know that that person loves being a coach and loves helping people. And it's just sort of accepted that it's, it's okay to do that, but it's, it's really not. You think it's like a, like a, you asked for it kind of thing. Like, you know, teachers don't make a lot, a lot of money, but like you asked for it, that's what you wanted. Like when you became a teacher, so you better just, you know, get used to it. Or that's what you asked for when you opened a gym. You think it's something like it's like that kind of mindset, eh? Like where it's like well, and that, and again, that was kind of the reverse of this. They said that that um, you know, it, you know, like they, the quote here is, "It's scary to think that when when we see someone in a bad work situation, our mind may jump to the conclusion that they are they must be passionate about their work." While not always uh, factually incorrect, that this may serve as a legitimate uh, serve to legitimize uh, instances of mistreatment. Well, that's um, like a, that's like big word number four, eh? I know. You had appendectomy, you had uh, foliage, which you said wrong, by the way, and I didn't say anything. Foliage? And, well, you said fo foliage. Foliage? Foliage. Foliage. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. Uh -huh. I am right. And, and then what was the hor horticultural? Horticultural. <laughs> horticultural. <laughs> and then this last one, legitimize. <laughs> Just Instances of mistreatment. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it, I think it's, it, it, that's part of that example is people say, well, that's what you signed up for. You know, they're, they're trying to legit, legitimize this like mistreatment or just an expectation, you know, that, that you, that you don't need to get paid as much and you don't need this work-life balance because you signed up for this passion project and this, you know, you're doing it because you love it. Um, I also think about, uh, nonprofits and, and things and charities and, and, you know, people are, they, they don't, you know, they, you know, you think you hear, you hear these stories about how, Oh, this nonprofit, only 20% of the proceeds go toward the, um, the, uh, uh, the actual charity or whatever. And it's like, well, you know that this is a bit, it, they still have to run it. And if they don't have some money, you know, if they're not using some of their money to continue to grow the, grow the company, you know, promote its mission and set up these events then it doesn't exist. You know, um, I think, I think it's part of the, what goes on with government. You know, a lot of government entities are designed to not sh have any money left over, not have any sort of profit because they're providing, you know, valuable services to, to, uh, to society. But it's like, but that's a very short term mindset, right? You know, if we have a little, if, if we can set up 
you know, like the, the one that always bothers me is the United States Postal Service, which runs at a massive deficit every year, billions of dollars. And, and, uh, and it's not a good service. It's not, it's not easy to use. It's, um, uh, and, and the people who work there don't enjoy it. <laughs> and, and yet the two of the most successful companies in the last hundred years are FedEx and UPS, which basically do the exact same fucking thing as the postal service. <laughs> and those are also two of the greatest companies to work for. And, and, uh, and it's really, it, it, it's like, that's so weird. Why are we in this situation? Well, part of it's this huge bureaucracy and, you know, there's just really inefficiencies, but it's also set up to where they try to, they just don't charge enough and it's, Oh, we got to make it cheap so everyone can use it. It's a, it's a public service. And yeah, I understand that, but you know, can we create a little bit more, you know, flexibility? And so if we have a little bit of money left over, instead of it being immediately taken away um, to another, to another project or another, another department or just cutting costs, like, okay, how we can invest in better infrastructure. We can in, invest in, in making it better. Um, but I think it's kind of this passion mindset, right? The service to others. Well, this was a lot to unpack today. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the two, maybe the two articles in a row is, is, uh, is a little bit much, but I'm hoping you guys got a lot out of it. Um, uh, but, but I, I will say the kind of the actionable items here is to um, separate yourself. Your, you know, you can be passionate about something and still make sure that you're taking care of yourself and protecting yourself from being taken advantage of, whether it's the gym life or even just your regular work life. Um, and, and the way to do that is usually to create systems, you know, where, you know, you have set times where you're going to take time off or you make sure that you're not giving, giving up too much time uh, unpaid. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it's something, something to be aware of affecting you, but also that you're not taking advantage of other people. Like I said, if, um, if you're managing people, you're, you're just not expecting them or you guys as clients aren't just expecting your coach to, to always be available to help you out and everything. Um, just remember that, that, uh, that, that, you know, in order for them to be a better coach or a better person, they need to make, a, you know, they need to make money at this. That needs to, it needs to help, help fuel their life and make their lives better. And that's one of the reasons why this article really struck a chord with me is because again, I see so many gym owners struggling because they did this out of, out of the caring mindset and out of the passion of helping people. But, but then they, but then they end up getting burned out. And, and if, if somebody burns out, um, then they don't do a good job, as good a job coaching or running the gym and the gym may end up closing and then it doesn't help anybody. Yep. I have like, I work for MadLab. That's exactly what we do. So I have nothing to add <laughs> to that other than go check out MadLab, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you guys haven't, you could definitely um, check out MadLab. Tell them, tell, tell them that you found it through the, through Thrivestry or whatever. And, and uh, so they know that we're still champion. I mean, that's part of the reason why I have the, the moose and the, ch the chicken behind me. Um, you can learn about that more when you sign up for MadLab, but, but uh, uh yeah, and, and let's say Thrivestry is all about mastering the art of thriving at life. And it's not, and I want to help you guys. Like, I, I think there's, all, there's, there's virtually, there's very few jobs that are as, um, uh, you know, impactful or beautiful as somebody who commits their life to making other people's lives better, teaching them how to make other lives better. And so I want to make sure that you guys as gym owners and coaches are also thriving at life too. And you're not, in, and you're not uh, um, suffering while you, while you help everybody else. That's it for today, guys. Thanks a lot and say goodbye, Gigi.